The word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. All right, so this is going to be, uh, I think, a, a great conversation, only because so many people know who I'm going to be speaking with next. Charles Barkley, I mean, I, you don't have to be a basketball fan. I mean, look, Charles, we didn't say it off air here, but you know, you're regarded as the top media personality in sports around the world, and you've earned it. Um, you bring people in that have not been fans, uh, and they just want to spend time. They want to get to know you. You're very personable. So I want to jump into this, Charles. During the NBA Finals, right, I'm a Spartan. I'm a supporter of Draymond. He gets all this flack. Right. Because deservedly so. Right. He gets this flack where they're saying, look, Draymond, you just had a rough game. You guys just lost and you're worried about your podcast. Right. So I want to use that as a backdrop. Let's talk a little bit about 84 and and when you were coming up. You know, back then I saw athletes, you guys were like representing local car dealerships or banks in in Philadelphia. Right. You weren't businessmen in the same way they are today. Are these athletes prepared to be in business? the way in which they are now, because it feels like the Draymonds of the world, I don't know how they focus. You know, that's a great question because I actually take it taken away from their game. You know, they make so much money now and instead, and I said, I says, guys, you're already making so much money playing basketball. You don't have to jump at every dime that comes at you. And so my concern to answer your question is how dedicated do you want to be the best basketball player you can be? Uh, because there are so many, much more opportunities, but we didn't care about opportunities. We're like, I just want to be the best basketball player I can be. And, and listen, and there's some great examples like LeBron's great, Kevin Durant's great, and they do a lot of stuff, but their number one priority is always basketball. Uh, so it's, it, it concerns me that these guys, because my number one thing is how great a basketball player do you want to be? Uh, I don't care what I don't care about your personal life. I don't care what you off the court, but you have to always remember something. The reason you get all those economic opportunities is because of basketball. Yeah. And, and it makes me wonder. So take me back. So in the locker room, back when you were in Philly, it doesn't even have to be your rookie year. I mean, were guys talking about the, these opportunities outside of the arenas? I mean, was that even a point of discussion? Well, because we weren't making no money. <laughs> you know, my first contract, uh, number one, and I'm on, I don't want to poop on it. My first contract was four years, $2 million. Now you look, you guys, you know, you look, you saw James Harden. He turned down 47 million. Russell took 47 million. Kyrie took 36 million. So obviously, you know, with that type of money, you, you got, you got way more business opportunities uh, but th- we've always had opportunities, but the number one thing we never let get in our way is the number one thing is basketball. You make everything like me got, getting on television is because of basketball. Me doing these subway commercials is because of basketball. Uh, me doing Capital One is because of basketball. So I, I, like I said, to get back to my original point, hey, do what you want to do away from the basketball court. Like right now it's the off season. You don't, we don't get to, uh, like I'm on vacation until I think around Halloween. I mean, I thought we'd be doing this interview. You'd be fishing. 
Well, I, I, I'm, I'm actually probably going to go fishing after I get done with this. Because uh, like I say, I've been shooting subway commercials the last couple of days and we're done now. So I'm heading back home either late tonight or tomorrow. And the way the airline is, I don't want to get stuck at the airport. So I might wait till tomorrow. But if not, I'm going to go out to me a little pond somewhere, take me a six pack and just have a little fun. Look, back when and we were talking off air just about sort of my love of basketball and the bad boys in Detroit. But back then, you know, there was that famous clip, right, that you were not a role model. Yes. And it's not but the focus on that piece of it, because I think at least now, maybe I'm 45 thinking about this, but I actually appreciated the, the honesty and the transparency that you had back then. I don't know if we had the understanding of what you were actually saying uh, in that moment. Well, it, 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 really, it, it, wasn't a, it really was just about starting the conversation. So, you know, so what was happening was, you know, we do a lot of speaking at different schools when you play NBA team. So one thing I noticed, we have a lot of segregated schools. So when I would go speak at predominantly white schools, I would, so after my second or third year, I started asking, how many of y'all want to play sports? How many want to play sports? So when I go to predominantly white school, only like five to 10% hold up their hand. They said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a policeman. Stuff that's really important and significant. But then when I would go to predominantly black schools, I said, well, how many of y'all want to play sports? Like they all raised their hand. And I was like, I think these kids think they can only play sports and be entertainers. They don't realize they can be doctors and lawyers and policemen and firemen and teachers and stuff that's really important and significant. So I went to Nike and I said, hey, I want to make this commercial. They're like, no, you're not doing that shit. That's not going <laughs> to go over well. Hey, I says, well, why wouldn't we do it? They're like, because you're going to get killed. I says, dude, I play in Philadelphia. There's nothing that they consider me that's going to hurt my feelings. I played for the Philadelphia 76ers. And these people talk about my mama. I mean, yeah. ain't no big deal. So I went to Nike and Nike said, you know, that's not a good idea. And they said, if you want to do it, you can take the heat. But what I was doing was just trying to start a conversation like we're doing now. Like, listen, I know athletes uh, are role models. But first of all, we really don't know these guys, but I want you kids to listen to their parents. But the main objective, I want these young black kids, no way, you know, man, there's a, a lot more jobs out there than playing in the NBA or the NFL which you're probably not going to make it in anyway. I said, think about this. Your mom and dad are five, seven. You're not going to be in the NBA. <laughs> Odds are not in your favor. Yeah, but you can be a doctor and a lawyer and an engineer and a teacher and things like that. As a matter of fact, you got a much, much better chance of being a doctor and lawyer than you do playing in the NBA or the NFL. So, so tell me so, about so, But uh, so I will give Nike credit. They came to me and says, it was our mistake because apparently... You know, they get hundreds of thousands of letters a year on all type of BS. They said 95% of the letters they got were positive. So it really made me feel good. And like I say, I knew what I was trying to do and, and it worked. Tell me about the arc of the, of the term role model for you, because you've, I mean, look, as an athlete, you had people that loved you and hated you, whether, you know, you played on their team or not. Uh, yeah. Then you get into C to TV and inside the NBA takes off and it's just, it's must see TV in that regard. And so people get a chance to really get to know you. They think they know you. Um, do you have a different sense of the word role model now, even if it's just for sort of your, your statewide home in Alabama? No, uh, no, because uh, I don't really want role models to be people that people never know. Uh, the people who should be your role models should be at your house, people you know, 
uh, or somebody in your own community who you spend quality time with. We don't know these guys. I mean, we, who knew OJ Simpson was going to be out here killing people? I mean, but we know he was a great football player. We know he was going to be out here killing people. Uh, and, and I can go on and on with Gajocks, who we thought were great guys, who were really scumbags. But, but we don't know these guys. And listen, I'm pretty sure if you're a scumbag, you're not going to show it on television or in interviews. You're going to put your best foot forward. So I tell kids, yo, man, listen to your mom and dad. Uh, you know, teachers, are, I think, a great role. I've had some great teachers in my life who believed in me. Uh, but, you know, I, basketball has been great to me. It's given me every single thing in my life. But I don't want all these kids thinking like, hey, I'm going to be in the NBA or NFL or the pro football. I was like, no, nah, man, you're probably going to have to get a real job. And most kids are going to have to get a real job. How would Charles Barkley be received now if you were a college athlete? When we're think, talking about name, image, and likeness, we're talking about, I mean, I talked to a, a football player that in, with UCLA, it looks like now maybe they're going to the, the Big Ten, um, and he was telling me off the record that, man, if you don't have enough Instagram followers, if you don't have this sort of social motor going, it's going to be really tough. And they actually talk about it from a drafting perspective. And if they're thinking that, I'm wondering how honest they can be so do you think you well, could make well, it being all, who you are now? Thing, hey, the one thing I've learned about honesty, people, they're like, Judge Charles Barkley, he's honest. And number one, I'm always be honest, because I think it's important to, to, to tell the truth when you're on television. But people only want you to be honest when they agree with you. Okay, so that's the first thing. <laughs> you know, I'm concerned about college athletics going forward. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this NIL thing for several reasons. Uh, number one, I think it's going to bring tremendous resentment and jealousy to the team. Uh, if I'm like, let's take football, for example, the pretty quarterback and the pretty running back and wide receiver going to, they're going to get all the endorsement deals. The defensive lineman, the offensive lineman who really worked the hardest, they're not going to get no deals. Nobody, nobody's going to get no card deal. To, they're going to give it to the quarterback and the running back and the wide receiver. They're not going to give it to the big, ugly offensive and defensive lineman. So there's going to be some jealousy and resentment there. Also, I think it's just going to, kids are just going to go to the high bid, highest bidder now. And you've got this transfer portal, which is awful, I think, you know, because kids now, after every year, teams are going to cherry pick guys off bad teams or other teams and say, hey, we'll give you money to leave that school. So I'm really concerned about the direction of college athletics. Um, what about the impact uh, on academics and just students? Because if, if schools start to lose these athletes and they generate so much revenue, higher ed's already been, they're already sort of dying on the vine. I just worry about the smaller university. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's another aspect of it also. We're going to, you know, people talk about the haves and have nots. We're going to have the haves and everybody else is screwed. I mean, so I'm really concerned where it's going. And it's really, really unfortunate because, as I was telling you earlier, man, 90% of these kids, they're not going to play in the pros. They're going to get a free education. And I hate these people on television, and most of them are successful. or And they're like, well, they're screwing these kids, only giving them education. Man, I think a free education is a big deal. I think to get out of college with no debt. But like I say, I, I'm concerned. But the toothpaste is out of the tube, and I don't know if you can put it back in. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand 
and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. So uh, we're going to start to now pivot and talk about business. I want to talk about Redmond and your work with the, the World Games. But I want to start with this, with these personalities. Where, where are we right now? It seems like TV personalities or these media folks in sports, it's almost like they're trying to compete on the same level with the athlete. And I don't know if this is just the world that we're getting in, right? We've got Nick Wright fighting with Draymond. You know, you see all these sorts yeah. of things and you say, well, wait a minute, who in the world played the sport? Uh, but it feels like we are just absolutely mixed up. It's like we can't get ourselves out of this knot. Well, uh, honey, that's a really good question because I think it's gotten out of hand because now people are starting to believe, like, this guy knows everything about every sport. Like, no, he doesn't. He just get paid to talk about every sport. He doesn't know, he doesn't know shit about hockey or baseball or really football or basketball. But you, if you get on TV and scream loud enough and say whatever, like, oh, I'm right. This guy's an awful basketball player. This guy, first of all, there are no bad players in the NBA. There's no bad players in any professional sports. Now, are they all LeBron and Kobe and Michael Jordan? No. But the worst player in the NBA is a great player. But that goes back to the NIL thing. This, these, these morning talk shows, the two spaces out to two. And my thing is, I call it a disease when you start like, start talking about every sport and you start acting like you're an expert on every sport. That's the thing that really pisses me off, to be honest with you. Like, cause I started a phrase a few years ago and some guys called me and said, why do you always say that? Cause, cause it is just my opinion. Cause I always say when I, when I want to make something like a really good point, I say, in my opinion, because it's just my opinion. I'm not, you know, we have a joke on our show. Ernie says, I'm going to talk to the experts and do, but not experts. Stop it. Because I don't think there's a such thing as an expert. I really don't. It's somebody's opinion. But I don't believe there's a such thing as an expert. I don't care who you are or what you do. It's just your opinion. And just because you know a lot about it, that doesn't make you an expert. I mean, I know a lot about basketball, but I am not an expert. I'm just a dude giving my opinion. And what I try to do is make it funny as possible because, you know, you're trying, to, you're trying to deal with two different audiences. You're going to get the basketball audience, which is easy. But I want the housewife sitting around with her husband, bored to death because he want to watch basketball. I want to set some funny to make her laugh. Well, I didn't I know you knew guy. my wife, Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, think about it. Some guy who really don't give a shit about basketball. Oh, man, my son wants to watch the game tonight. I got to spend quality time with my son. I'm going to make him laugh. And I think that's the main reason uh, our show has been successful. Because, you know, Ernie, I was in uh, North Carolina the other night with Ernie, and, and, and he was getting an award. And he says, one thing about Chuck. He said, he's, he's, man, he said, I love working with Chuck. He says the same thing before every show. Hey, and, and Ernie says, he says, and the crowd says, well, what does he say? He said, I can't repeat it. He said, and he says, there's no kids here. He says, he says, okay. He says, he says, we're not here to say the fucking world. It's just basketball. And I said that before every show. And I mean that sincerely. I said, dude, we're talking, I said, we're talking about fucking basketball. We're not saving the world. I said, we're not in the service. We're not a cop. We're not a, a first line re responder. 
We're talking about a bunch of dudes making millions of dollars to run around in shorts and look cute on television. Let's just have fun for the next six hours. How has your relationship to the word no changed over time? I would imagine that you have more opportunities now than you've ever had. Um, is it hard to say no? No, you have, it used to be. It did. Yeah, it, it, when you first become famous again in the limelight, you because everybody wants to be liked. Okay, I hate when you hear guys. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Well, first of all, they're full of shit. Everybody wants to be liked, but the one thing you have to understand: anybody who has success, everybody's trying to get to you. So the first people you have to tell no to is your family and your friends, because they'll get you broke in a hurry. They will get you broke in a hurry. You know, 80% of professional athletes go broke because of family and friends, because you want to help everybody, but you have to realize like they're never going to stop asking you for money. So those are the first people you have to learn to say no to. Then secondary is to charity organizations. So I feel really good about what I do for charity, but I can't do everybody's shit. And when I first started, I tried to do everybody's shit. I was like, man, I, and Dr. J's like, yo, man, you do know you play basketball for a living and you do, you got to have, do, you got to do you for a living. And I, he says, Charles, we don't have to do every charity event. These people, he, he said, there's a million charities, they're going to keep coming. You don't have to feel bad about saying no. Uh, so when I first got in this thing, you know, I wanted to make everybody happy. But the one thing I realized, I probably halfway through my rookie year, man, you can't make everybody happy. So no is a very important part of your repertoire. And you don't have to feel bad about it. Because uh, you like, I feel really good about the stuff I do for charity. But I can't do everybody's stuff. So then why Redmont Vodka? Talk about that. Tell me, with all these choices, what was it about it? Was it that it's... You know, in Birmingham. No, it was it was very simple. It's in Alabama. So I had been looking around for 10, 15 years. I wanted to own a business in Alabama. Hmm. Uh, that's the only reason. Um, the first thing, and when the opportunity came, me and my friends, we love to drink. And I, my first thing was, hey, man, is the product any good? So I get about 10, 15 of my guys together, and we would like, okay, plain, Orange juice, cranberry juice, water. How do you, what do you put with vodka? What do you put with gin? And I says, and, and I went to a couple of professional friends of mine who were in the business. I said, tell me about this. What does eight times distilled mean? It just mean cleaner, better, cleaner, better. I said, okay. So, and uh, they says, that's a lot of times distilled. So it's going to be, so you're probably looking at a high-end price. I'm like, I'm not sure what that means. He said, that just means you got a really good product. And so once I got through the, 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 the sampling with my friends and getting advice, I said, okay, I'm gonna buy this. And, and uh, I bought it. And then I said, okay, what's next? They're like, well, we're gonna go here. I said, whoa, 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 take a step back. I said, why are we spending all this money? We're not making any money. And I said, I said, cause I'm not gonna let you just go through my money. So I said, let's take a step back and just stay in Alabama. Because I felt very confident about being from Alabama. I knew my Auburn people were going to support me. I felt good about the Alabama people supporting me. So, you know, one of the things I did a few years ago, so I, I 
my goal is to, one reason I got involved with Redmond also. So I've been trying to give a million dollars a year away to charity every year. So I started out with my high school. I started out at my college, Auburn. Then I went to a couple of inner city schools in Birmingham. Then I went to Wounded Warriors because the greatest country in the world treat our soldiers like shit. Uh, it really bothers me. So that's one of the, my really good uh, charities I'm involved with. But the last five years, I did uh, five historically black colleges, three in Alabama and two uh, in, in Georgia. So I did uh, Morehouse and Clark in Atlanta. And I did Alabama A&M, uh, Tuskegee and Miles in Birmingham. So I felt like, okay, I know these three schools and people in Alabama are gonna support me because I'm putting my money where my mouth is. So the first two years we stayed in Alabama and the people that were tremendous to me and Eleanor and Montel and Jonathan, my entire team, and then was like, well, let's go to Georgia because, you know, Georgia is a big Auburn hangout and I'm in Atlanta every week so I can do a bunch of stuff in the community. And so the first two years we stayed in Alabama uh, and then we went to Georgia. And uh, now I think we're in 17, 18 states. But the main reason, 100%, I wanted to own some in Alabama because Alabama will always be important and significant to me growing up there and I go there quite a bit and Birmingham means a lot to me is what a distillery is so that's how the whole thing came together what's the end goal I mean I, I could imagine if you've got a goal of a million dollars and you see all of these guys selling their spirits right their tequila yeah. their vodka you could raise some incredible sum of money um to do whatever you wanted with is yeah. or is this more family for you that you want to keep it you want it that's sort of in the Barkley family well, I want to just make Alabama proud, to be honest with you. I mean, to, to, I'm not, listen, God bless all those other guys who got distilleries and got their own vodka, own gin and things like that. I'm, I don't know how many of them are actually in their hometown. Uh, so so that, that was more important to me than anything. Like I said, I know a lot of those guys who got their own alcohol, but they just got their name on it. Uh, so I own the company, number one, but it's in Alabama. Those are two things that I'm most proud of. You know, listen, I've had many opportunities where people say, hey, can we put your name on this? And one thing I consciously did, like, hey, my name is not going to be anywhere on the bottle. I want people to like the product for the product. And I said, hey, they'll know if I own it soon enough when we do things and blah, like that. But I said, on, on the nose, and, and like, they tried to talk me into it, to be honest with you, I'm like, under no circumstances, I want the product to speak for itself. When I bought the company, it spoke for itself, and I want to keep that speaking for itself. I don't want, I don't want to sell alcohol just because I'm Charles Barkley. I want to make a brand in Alabama that I can be proud of. So there's that famous clip of you and Rick Mahorn goofing off on the sideline, right? <laughs> and I'm wondering, have you ever been tempted to take that Redmond vodka and put that in Shaq's cup right before you come back from commercial? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is funny. Shaq actually is not a drinker. He's not. He's not. He, uh, he doesn't drink. I mean, that body, you'd have to have a lot of, of liquid there to, I think, impact him, right? Hey, biggest human <laughs> being, biggest human being in the history of civilization <laughs> is he is. But you know what? He likes to smoke hookah, but he, he doesn't drink. 
So so it would be fun to get go out drinking with him one night. I will admit that. But he's just not a drinker. He's a hookah smoker. He might respond like Ernie did when you guys took Ernie's show notes. Oh, no, no, no. Nobody oh. <laughs> can get that mad. Nobody can get that mad. I mean, that hey, was musty and, and TV. Ron, let me tell you something. <laughs> Never, ever again would I listen to Kenny Smith. He's like, because <laughs> I didn't really realize how important, uh, I mean, because Ernie's the hardest working guy out of all us four, but I didn't realize how important those notes were. And man, I've never seen him that mad ever. <laughs> so let's let's kind of do a round robin here. Do you think the NBA is going to go to Vegas? And if so, I, I would imagine, given that you're sort of the unofficial mayor uh, of Vegas, that you'd want inside to leave the ATL and go to well, Vegas. <laughs> anytime I go to Vegas, it's always fun. I love <laughs> Vegas. I love to gamble. It's kind of bored in my life right now because it's not football season. I mean, that's all football is good for to bet on. And let me tell you something. There's nothing better in Vegas than a Saturday and Sunday doing college pro football, getting down there at 9 o'clock in the morning and spending the whole day there just betting on games. So I when's think it, when, I When's the first beverage come in? You know, to be honest with you, that's one of the few times I day drink. You do? <laughs> I, I don't day drink. Uh, I, I love to drink, but I don't day drink. But sometimes when we're in the sports break, I start around noon. That's like when I get on planes. I always catch the first flight first thing in the morning. Because less people bug me at 5, 6 in the morning. But I'm always amazed how somebody just grab a drink at first thing. Like, are you kidding me right now, dude? It's like 6 o'clock in the morning. Why the hell are you drinking? It always seems to amaze me when people get on the plane and order a drink first thing in the morning. That does makes me laugh every time. Let, let, let's close with this, uh, Charles. What Sort of the world is your oyster. At least that's the perception, right? And you're a good guy, and you've been incredibly gracious even in our conversation today. What, what, what would you say is your blind spot as you're looking forward? Because there, there's so much here. I mean, you, you're, you're, there's no sunsetting to your career here. I mean, I think with you know, you've got this well, ubiquitous nature in the U.S. People want to see you in, in many places. So what's the blind spot? Trying to decide when to walk away. Hmm. You know, my plans are right now, I just turned 59. I thought next year was last year on my contract, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know if my agent screwed it up or somebody just screwed up. You know, one NBA season goes into the next season. So I thought I had my contract set that I was going to retire at 60. I just became a grandfather. Hello, little Henry. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, man. It's, it's, it's the craziest thing. I have one kid, my daughter, she's amazing. And being there for the birth and then going to see her for her first Mother's Day, man, it's crazy being a grandpa. Uh, it's the most amazing thing. But to answer your question, I don't want to die on the vine. I wanted, like, says, oh, man, that dude, like, uh, and, and, and this guy's a legend. I'm not comparing myself to him. I just want to make that clear. Like, John Madden walked away, like, when life was good. And for me, my plan is to work two more years and retire. And everybody's telling me, like, no, nah, man, you got to stay. You got to stay. So I'm really perplexed about that situation. Thank God I don't have to make an answer right now. 
but that's the thing that concerns me more than anything in my life right now. Does it, like, does it, does it represent sort of even being an athlete, knowing when to hang them up? Well, it's a little different because when your ass can't play anymore, they tell you it's time to go home, <laughs> you know, you know, though. So they, you, you know, they, they, see, that's the difference. Like when you know, you know, as a player, when you can't play anymore, cause it starts to get hard. Uh, so that, that, that kind of writes itself itself. But you see guys, you know, can do this another 10, 15 years. And I don't want to get to the point where, like, is Charles Barkley ever going to retire? It's time for him to go home. Because, you know, it's amazing to me that I've been doing this thing for 21 years already. So to answer your question, that's the thing that keeps me up late at night. You know, when they call and say, hey, do you want to talk about a contract extension? I said, no, I don't want to talk about a contract extension. Then they'll let it die for a couple of months. They'll come back. Hey, we would like to extend your contract. I said, yo, man, I really appreciate the offer. But I said, first of all, I'm not going anywhere. If I stay in television, it's going to be with TNT. But that's the thing that keeps me up late at night. Like, yo, man, are you really going to retire in two years? Is it the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? And I don't know the answer to it, but it does keep me up at night. Well, I, I, th I think I speak for all sports fans that whatever the platform is, that we hope that you continue on because it's just, it's pure enjoyment. Even if you miss a game, you know, you hear people talk about, man, I just had to catch inside. I had to see what it was. It just, it gave some levity to my day. You, you hear that from people, not even sports fans. That's because it, that, that, that's, that's, you know, I told you what I say before the show, one of the reasons, I tell these guys, man, we're the luckiest dude in the world. We get paid to watch stupid basketball. And you, you, we're the luckiest dudes in the world. And so people at home, our job is to make sure they enjoy watching basketball. It's not life or death. And I don't mean that to be humble or whatever. I'm just talking straight facts here. I'm like, yo, man, we send, we getting paid to watch a stupid basketball game. We're the luckiest dudes in the world. Let's make sure people at home if, like I say, if they're having a bad day, or like I say, if there's a wife who got to sit with her husband and she's like, I don't give a rat's ass about basketball, but my husband want to watch this, I'm going to sit with him to spend quality time. If there's a dad who does not like basketball, he says, you know what? My kid want to watch basketball. I'm going to take a bullet for the team and watch basketball. And that's what it's all about. Like, every time I get on television, I say, man, I really want to talk basketball, but I really want people to have fun watching it. Well, I we do have fun. And, you know, congratulations on RedmontVodka.com. I know it's going national now, and you're the ambassador for the World Games coming up here. Uh, a great pleasure to spend some time with you, Charles. Right. Uh, thank you for having me, man. I'm excited about the World Games because that's really just about Birmingham. I want people to see my hometown. We're going to have all those jocks there and all those from different countries. So I just think it's going to be great for Birmingham. But thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. <laughs>